This is a summary of the first Sicha of Parshas Kiseitze, Likuti Sicha Yischelek Yud Dalit. This is a Rashi Sicha. As a matter of fact, the Rebbe gets into a number of Rashis from the previous Parsha and Parsha Shaiftim, and from the opening Rashi in this week's Parsha, when you go out to war, Kiseitze La Mochama. And for the sake of the summary, we aren't going to get into the nitty-gritty of the Rashis, but to be honest, in general, this is a very interesting sicha. It's unique in its style. The Rebbe is learning out a numerous different things from and different details and halachic ideas from all kinds of statements of Rashi and what Rashi chose to quote and not quote. And by definition, it's a kind of sicha which uh, I strongly advise people actually learn and don't just listen to a summary on this kind of sicha. And what we're going to do is merely state a few points, a few beautiful ideas that the Rebbe points out in the sicha. That's the bottom line. The theme that the Rebbe develops originally is that the word ki, the word ki, a very important word in the Torah, it's used very often, we're told already by Rashi that there's a number of meanings to the word key. However, the fact of the matter is, is that the preferable translation is the word translation if, if, not when, if, not because, if. Key, the word key represents if. And that's why whenever Rashi quotes the famous passage of the Gemara, that the word has four meanings, the word ki, e, and, and it, the Gemara says in, in Aramaic, it has four translations, e, dilma, ela, daha. If, maybe, rather, because. Nevertheless, but the fact that it's quoted by Rashi in that order means that according to Rashi, it's the simplest translation. And this plays itself out in many places. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, Rashi in his commentary on the Gemara, generally speaking, even though it's not the same style, the commentary on the Gemara, which is for a much more advanced student, that Rashi's commentary on the Chumash, which is for a less advanced student, nevertheless, we're not trying to make great debates between the Gemara, the Talmud, and Rashi over here and Rashi and Chumash in general. It's very interesting. In Rashi, in the Gemara, in the tractate of Soita, the Gemara, he says that these words, ki seitze, when you, right, which we normally translate when you go out to war. So Rashi says, no, the, the word ki means if. So it means if you go out to war. In the chance, in the event that you go out to war. If you go out to war, this should be the law. So Rashi over there in Saita writes, key, and I quote, the Rebbe brings it in note five. The chiseitse mashma kishetale al dait The words themselves, chiseitse, when you go out means when it will enter your mind, when you will, like it's optional. If it will, so if it will come to be, to be that you will go out to war, then this should be the law. And this has great halachic ramifications because there's two kinds of wars that will Jews wage. There's something called the Mechemes Mitzvah and Mechemes Rishus. There's an obligatory Mitzvah. And then there's a Mitzvah which is discretion, uh, uh, which is uh, which has to be fought with discretion. You have to decide 
course, it's a very serious decision whether to go to war, and it has to be done in consultation with the Jewish Supreme Court and with the high priest and with many other people. However, the uh, however, this is with a king and so on. So, but but this is that that is what the translation would be. However, that's Rashi in the Talmud. And that's Rashi throughout the Chumash. That's how he translates the word key. The problem is, actually, it actually doesn't prove that we're talking about a discretionary war in this scenario. Why? Because I could translate it when you go out to war, in the event that you go out to war, if you go out to war, that it's not going on the war. The war, we could say, is not discretionary. The war is obligatory. But what about the continuation of the sentence? If you will go out to war and capture a captive. Many wars, you don't capture a captive. The word if, the discretionary element, if it will come to pass, is going on the captivity, not on the not on the not on the war itself. And that explains the commentary of Rashi, where Rashi says that the Pulsak's telling you that how do we know that it's a discretionary war? Because it says that you capture a captive. And in the conquest of Israel, Hashem did not allow for any captives. Either the non-Jews were kicked out of Israel or they were killed. There was no, Hashem did not allow for them to live under our dominion, the seven Canaanite nations. Therefore, that's where Rashi learned it from, not from the word ki. So that is one tremendous novelty that the Rebbe develops in this talk. And based on that, the Rebbe explains a number of other verses in the previous parasha, where it uses the word key, that sometimes Rashi doesn't comment at all. And it doesn't say that it means that it's a discretionary war, just because it used the word key, which means if. Why not? Because it could, like we just said, it could always be used to the extension of the sentence. When it says, key, if you go out to war and you'll see a tremendous nation, enemy fighting you, and this should be the law, Rashi translates that the word if means if you go out to war and this will be the case, that there will be a great nation fighting you. doesn't prove anything. The, the, the idea whether it's a discretionary war or an obligatory um, war. And uh, so that that's one um, very interesting principle, which I think we can walk away with from this sicha on the level of Shemek, on the level of the simple reading of the text. Um, a, another Interesting idea is that one of the psukim that Rebbe focuses on, it says that when you if you approach a city to fight it, I'm always translating the word if, because the word key with this great novelty, the word key means if. Not the way many of us perhaps were taught in Cheder. Whenever we saw the word key, we always translated when, when. But now we're being told a new revolution. And it's explicit in Rashi in a number of places, including the quote that we just brought from Saita. The word key means if. So we have a passage which says, if you approach a city to make peace with it. So Rashi learns that it's going on a discretionary war. Discretionary war? How do we know it's a discretionary war? How do we know? Because it says if. That in itself is a, is a proof that it's a discretionary war. Now, there's a great debate between the great authorities of old, between all the Rishayim, about whether in an obligatory war, like when we conquer the land of Israel, or even when we fight Amalek, 
whether we're supposed to open up with a peace offer or not. It's a big, big debate. Rashi learns that it's a discretionary war. When you approach a city, if you approach a city, I keep making the mistake, if you approach a city, to fight it. And over here, there's no discretionary thing that I could point to. Every case of going to war is to fight the war. So it must be going on if, the if scenario. And the Titus telling you that it's a discretionary war, and that's when you open up to offer peace. However, Rashi Okay, fine. However, there's a problem, which is that elsewhere we learned that Moshe Rabbeinu opened up to peace when he was conquering Sichin. Sichin. And even though that was an obligatory war, that was a conquest that belonged to the Jewish people. It was one of the Canaanite nations that they were supposed to be conquering. How could Moshe Rabbeinu do it? And therefore, the Rebbe finds this in the hinted to in Rashi, that there's a great principle that when do we say that you can't open up to peace with an obligatory war only when you're at the gate of the war and you're literally at the moment of battle. You're literally at war. But if you're not approaching the city, if you're not actually at war yet, then you are allowed to offer peace and create. Um, and of course, the terms of peace are that they have to destroy all of their idolatry and they have to be under our rulership where we could then enforce the seven Noahite laws for them to be righteous Gentiles. Otherwise, we can't allow them to live in Jewish territory, someone who's not adhering to the basic laws of humanity, the seven Noahite laws. So this is the understanding of Rashi. This is the opinion of Rashi, that there's a, a condition. When could you offer the peace when you're not approaching the city to war? And perhaps that principle would be because once you're already in a state of war and you're literally at their doorstep, you can't take any peace that they make seriously. And what's the point of offering peace at that point? Perhaps that would be an argument, even though we do offer peace in a discretionary war at the gate of the city. So maybe that's not a good explanation. Whatever it may be, but from a distance you're able to do. You're able to offer peace. And this... And this is uh, and this is how the commentaries explain why the uh, the how they were able to offer peace to even the Canaanite nations. We're told by the Jerusalem Talmud that uh, the Jews, when they were in Jordan, Joshua sent three letters to the uh, 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 three consecutive letters, one after the next, to the, all the nations of Cana the, uh, in the land of Israel, and he offered them. You could um, you could make peace. In other words, surrender, unconditional surrender. Or the second uh, second option given to them was you could be uh, you could leave, and the third option is you could be annihilated, and of course they chose the latter, and that was their fate indeed. How was he able to offer peace again? Because it was from a distance, and for some reason that creates a leeway in this matter. A uh, another interesting element that comes out of Rashi is from the wording of Rashi that Rebbe learns. And without getting into details how he learns it, but, but the Rebbe learns that being that we had learned in Parshish Mishpatim, in the book of Shmois, that the Jews were told not to conquer Israel in one fell swoop because they don't want to leave the land desolate so it should become uninhabitable because it will be filled with wild animals and it will be a 
whole thing to bring it back to civilization. Rather, conquer the land slowly but surely in a way that you should be able to maintain it and have it inhabited. Rashi here learns that therefore there's, there could be a, 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 a mitzvah to destroy the Canaanites, but there's no mitzvah to conquer the land of Israel. Because there's no mitzvah to conquer this piece of land right now. And nevertheless, there's a there's a still a mitzvah not to let them live in our land because they could teach their pagan and terrible ways to the Jewish people. So that's a halachic novelty which comes out of uh, the discussion, at least on the level of Pshutei um, Shlamikra. And finally, in conclusion, one final idea that comes out of this Sikha, and there's many more, by the way, beyond what we said. We're just taking a few highlights because that's the style of this Sikha. There's just so much different, so many different ideas expounded upon. Is the Rebbe says on the Hasidic level, the Hasidic level, on the Hasidic level, all the Hasidic discourses have the opening of this week's Torah portion as describing the war that a Jew faces every day, that he fights, his godly soul fights with his animal soul during the time of prayer and so on. And that's how it's described. But the question is, that's an obligatory war. How could Rashi all of a sudden tell us that the war we're discussing is in a discretionary war? And the answer is that once it, a person originally, of course, has to fight the davening war. But then they have two options in front of them. There's the way you fight your animal soul through davening, through prayer. And there's the way you fight your animal soul through the learning of taita, through limitat taita. And the way that you conquer your animal soul through taita is in a way of peace. You don't actually have to wage the war. You come with so much force. You come with so much light and so much energy that the darkness merely dissipates before you. It's like coming from Hashem's perspective. You have There's no room for negativity anymore. And that's, that's what it means when Ashi says that it's discretionary, meaning you're able to choose both paths. So you could choose, you could either be a war or it cannot be a war, meaning it could be through davening or it could be through learning. And this is how a person ultimately accomplishes the goal that they conquer their battles and bring it to the world of holiness and goodness.